Hi everybody, this is Dan Davis here. Well, it's been some time. Um, so me and Kevin were just hanging out. Um, we figured we just wanted to put something out. I had picked up this kind of amazing and weird John Travolta single um, called A Girl Like You. It just says John Travolta Disco Single, A Girl Like You. Um, and it was fun and we just wanted to hang out and put something out for you guys. Um, we didn't take this one too seriously. We didn't really do a whole lot of research. We were just having fun. Um, I just wanted to note, I think before it started, I was trying to remember... Uh, oh, by the way, you're going to hear this uh, this typing happening a lot um, during the episode, and that's because I have a mechanical keyboard, so it's loud as shit. Uh, I apologize, but also I do not... Um, <laughs> But right, no, okay, so there's an American Idol contestant that I couldn't remember the name of, and it was Carrie Underwood. That was the country singer, and she was actually the most critically successful, um, critically, I'm not sure, uh, but at least financially successful, I believe, of the, um, of the American Idol contestants. Um, but yeah, th that's basically all I want to front load it with. Otherwise, we just have a lot of fun just bullshitting about disco. Again, we weren't taking it super seriously. Wanted to put something out that was fun, and here it is. Um, take care. Have a good one. Enjoy this episode. We'll be back with some more content very shortly. Um, and have a good one. I, I said that already, but it's because I really mean it, and I love you all. All right, bye-bye. Enjoy this one. And, uh, yeah, just be here as bullshit about some stuff. All right, bye-bye.
Okay, yeah, I think. Yeah, that's that's about it. That's gonna do it? Yeah. <laughs> Are we keeping it? Is this it? Are we actually doing it? Girl like you. Okay. Oh boy. Alright, yeah, no, pull, pull the needle off the thing. Ah, so it's not like, yes. oh god. Um, there we go. I'll just kill the sound on that. Oh boy. <laughs> okay. So, um, for this episode, we're not really taking it super seriously. Uh, I mean, who really takes John Travolta seriously we, these we, days? We literally, we literally wanted to be able to record this one and put it out the same night, which I'm going to be doing, which means I'm going to be up until like. One in the morning, reasonably. Sorry about um, that. Oh, no, 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 I don't care. I don't sleep. Um, so, yeah, John Travolta, disco. Interestingly enough, pre, like, big fame John yes. Travolta-ish? Well, kinda? this one this one in particular is 1978. Oh, so is... this this came out around the same year as Greece, right? Yes. Yeah. Post-Saturday Night Fever, about contemporary with Greece. But this is also not his popular hit. This is not his popular hit. We don't have his popular... What was his popular hit? I believe that was Let Her In. Okay, and this is John Travolta's... Uh, as, as it says in nice big letters, John Travolta disco single, A Girl Like You. Exactly. Let Her In was actually 1976, uh, super popular. You can find the video of it on uh, American Bandstand. Oh shit! Okay, on YouTube, I haven't, I haven't actually seen this. It's it's pretty amazing um, because it is John Travolta, of course, and and he's just very very young. Oh man, he's like 22. I think. I, I, at the I time? will say, I will ask this: Is his voice better on that? Because it's really like weak and weird on this on this song. Um. Well, the thing is, is he is, a, I believe, a tenor, if I, yeah. if I know my music appropriately. So he, he kind of has that voice, but he doesn't really have the power to back it up, Yeah, which is probably why he went further into like musical theater, the movies, because they you know, can power that up in post, whereas it seems like <laughs> even on a musical track with all this backing and stuff, he kind of struggles to push through that sound. Which yeah. is, I think, going to end up being more the discussion of today. The sound of this record the rather sound than of this record. Travolta. So, um, how, first off, how do, you th- how do you feel about disco or how do you think you feel about disco? So, disco was something that took me a long time to really start getting into. Yeah. I, I didn't really have a lot of familiarity with it. My family was mainly people into like rock and, and punk and metal and stuff yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. So. They were very counterculture of the the 70s and 80s. And there's certainly an argument to say that disco is a part of a counterculture movement. Disco, but this was, was, disco was part of a counterculture movement. Yeah. Part of, part of a, a notably a gay counterculture movement. Exactly. Uh, uh, notably a black gay, like a black, brown, you know, gay uh, movement. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And that's just something that my family just was not a was, part was of. Was not or, a part of. Or if they, if they were, they never told us about it. <laughs> so, I mean, take that as you will. So, it was kind of a late introduction for me. Right. And you, Dan. Yes. By the way, everybody, it's Kevin and Dan. We are still alive. Yeah, we're still... It's, it's been a bit, and you know what? It's because we have lives i was also out of the country in israel for a month that kind of has an effect that that kind of has an effect um but yeah i like like that's the thing is that i i don't think i ever disliked disco music i think it was just sort of like whatever leftovers of the disco sucks kind of attitude of the 70s and the early 80s which i don't know i uh i can't say i agree with i i kind of like disco but it's like when it's good, it's really good. But we've been having a hard time trying to figure out why, when it's good, it's good. Yeah. Like so that's been... that's the 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 primary focus of this of this episode is we've listened to the John Travolta record now two three times. Yeah, and like literally right now, and then immediately turned over to actual disco yeah, classics. Yeah, Don, uh, uh, Donna Summer, I Feel Love. Um, Casey and the Sunshine Band. A couple of Casey and the Sunshine Band songs. Exactly. And then who, who actually does? It's the Tramps that do Disco Inferno. And it's just like, okay, what... I mean, beyond the fact that, okay, I, I, the reason why I probably like the Tramps and the Casey and the Sunshine Band stuff is because it's still 
maybe feels a little bit more like R&B, but it's like, no, it's disco. Those Maybe at least those songs are disco. I think a song called Disco Inferno might be a disco song. I would certainly think so. Um, and for those of you who are music illiterate, and to be fair, we did have to do some research in order to really tease out these details, disco is a piece of the funk and like, uh, like it's, it's R&B like funk movement. and R&B. It's born out of that. There's some introductions of like kind of like 60s like psychedelia rock thing that also inspires musicians in Philadelphia. There's a lot of origin to, from Motown. Right. And and it's and well I think the Motown stuff is where you get a lot of like the horns and the strings. Yeah. Like that makes a lot of sense to me. Absolutely. Um, but uh, really, there's a lot we don't know. Uh, I mean, some stuff is obvious, but it's like, okay, so we know it's born out of these things. We get the, the four on the floor, we get the, the syncopation, but... And just to be clear, four on the floor means it's literally a four-four yeah, yeah, tempo yeah. that's uh, and it's, super and obvious. I think, I think it's the whole thing is that with disco, it's that the bass drum hits on every... hits on every one of those, or like... Is it bass drum, bass... Bass. Bass hits on every one of that, those. That and deep that's, that's thump. That's like a notable feature of disco. Um, I mean, the it's dance music. It's just, we've sort of... We're trying it's to almost figure, purely dance we're, music. We're trying to figure out why the John Travolta thing, despite not being that radically different from any of the other stuff we've listened to tonight or any of the disco stuff that I've heard that I've liked, why this John Travolta record is so much less enjoyable despite being built on essentially the same ground and i think what we've kind of come to the conclusion of is the difference between doing music or making music that is i don't want to necessarily say original but made with an originality in your style versus doing something that is like a chemical reaction just you're doing it exactly by the books. You're you're repeating an exact process. You're following the right tempo. You're using the same elements. Right. It's it's that that the imperfections that make something well, better. I mean, because the closest comparison to this, the rest of the stuff we've been listening to tonight is like Disco Inferno, but it's like, why is Disco Inferno so much better? And it's like I don't know. It feels like the people who made it maybe cared about the song a little bit more. Like like it's. Th- this is this is a problem I have I, I have with describing a lot of things to people is like and I mean I know everyone has this and maybe we should just do an episode about why why we enjoy music or why we perceive some music as being better than others or something but what it's makes like, taste but it, but it's just like you can you can put um, what makes Peter Gabriel so much more enjoyable to listen to than Phil Collins shots fired. Yeah, yeah, I'm fucking firing some shots. Phil Collins has one good song. No, um, no, but you're absolutely right. It's it's that idea. Sorry, that... I, I know I have I have a few friends who I go back and forth with on the Phil Collins thing. I like them, but it's like no, Peter Gabriel and Phil Collins like really similar music styles. They were in the same fucking band. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> it's absolutely there's a that tying element to it. But I I I don't think I've ever actually taken a stance on that either way. I mean, right. Phil Collins is Phil Collins. I've just never really put that much thought into it because I, it, Phil Collins Listen music a... is. I, I just... It, it is it, what it is. It doesn't do anything for you. Yeah. yeah. No, no, and I, and I understand there's plenty of musicians who are are amazing musicians in their category or genre or otherwise who I just can't dig because I don't dig the the thing. But it's like, no, I like Peter Gabriel despite the fact that, like, what... what why is he better than Phil Collins? Yeah. Um, well, I think it's, it kind of goes again... And on top of listening to disco, we also spent some time on a little bit of ABBA because ABBA is just yeah. post disco, and well, I, I think ABBA's happening kind of around the same time. They were they were they were big. Okay, no no no. no. All right, I we're we're doing the research right we're, now. We're, we're we're just like reading about disco and ABBA. Like I said, this is the most informal. This is like halfway between a, a record episode and a, a, a ramblings, ramblings yeah episode. So okay, for me, so like I'm four. So that's really. That's, that's like, that's, that's yeah, that's, that's like, origin of disco that, that's, period. That's, but, but then again, they don't really start sounding like exactly like disco until 
later, maybe. Hold on, let me... Uh... And so the way I was describing their sound, listening to them right now, especially right after the disco tracks, is they took the sound of rock of that period and... Like, used... like rock and bubblegum pop and like a little bit of everything. Yeah, and then just threw it on top of the, the style of disco. Yeah. I, I mean, Ab is interesting to talk about just because it's sort of like okay, so they're they're easily one of the biggest like straight pop acts to have ever existed, um, for whatever reason. For, for just huge, <laughs> huge, unfathomably huge. The it's it's my I remember I was I was asking my parents about this and they were just like, no, you kind of don't understand like just like how fucking big it was. And this is one of those things where it's like no, I think there's enough of a generational gap that. I appreciate ABBA as something, as just like an old pop group that I think is good. The, do you think where you the can cl- find the records everywhere. <laughs> do you think the closest thing we have right now in comparison could be like U2? Something that's so ubiquitous to the music guess, industry? and I and guess, I don't know. I, I, U2's never clicked for me, interestingly enough. See now we have that now that weird comparison. Like uh, weirdly, weirdly, someone who's into like like I'm into like the fucking fringes of like electronic punk and like drone music and shit. And I'm like Abba's great. I love Abba and I love Abba. <laughs> <laughs> like I love all this like really kind of fringy extreme music and Abba. Uh, <laughs> not to not to call myself a unique snowflake, but it's like no, I I I prided myself on being that kind of a- asshole who like just listened to punk music when he was in high school. Like, and I and I would say I have a fairly similar background, yeah. except it was probably mainly more metal. Yeah. And it's it's from there grown into this really strange mix. And and there you go. Well, you had that post punk era plus ABBA. Right. I had the heavy metal period going into U two. And it's like yeah. this. It doesn't really <laughs> technically make sense. And yet at the same time, that's what makes for music taste is right. just these ideas that you have these disparate elements that can come together and form. An idea of what is popular, what sounds good, even though there may not actually be any unifying element behind it. Right. I, I've spent quite a bit of time trying to figure this out, you know, as amateur psychologists try and do. Mm. There's a, a basic biochemical reaction that happens when you listen to music. You have any well, kind of stimulus. Well, well, Why does that change? I think for me it changed because I just started letting go of things and realizing I liked certain pop music. Like I think, I think for me it was the whole thing about like no, it's like no, I'm I'm allowed to enjoy. Beyonce, I think was a big, and that was only a couple of years ago. Yeah, but I just think oh, it, yeah. it finally broke down where it's just like no, no, this is good. Exactly, this, this is good. You can just you can just like. Take that part of your brain that tells you that it's not cool. That hipster alt, part of your brain. Not, uh, I mean, I, I, I even call it. Uh, uh, I was hipster before. Was no, no, but the, but sort of like the 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 just that part of my brain that's like it, it has to be alt or different or not mainstream. And it's just like why does why does being mainstream make it bad? There's plenty of hardcore bands, like hardcore punk bands, that were just fucking garbage. Yeah, like. <laughs> And, and to bring it back into disco, I think the thing that really reminded me that I do enjoy disco, and I've heard tracks all my life and everything, but never really put that much thought into it, was the return of disco in a lot of... Daft Punk. Yeah, things. Daft Punk for sure. Um, was it Bruno Mars that did uh, some some disco-esque music uh, in the last yeah, few years? A, a little bit more like, like R&B Motown kind of... But then again, like it's so all, because, it all ties because it has together. a common root. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's that's what really brought to my attention that oh there there's quite a bit about disco mm. that I actually enjoy. You know, actually something to think about. I think it's interesting that a lot of the artists around the time that Random Access Memories came out, um, there there was sort of this this reaching back of pop music looking towards the eighties. Mm-hmm. That's something that was happening in indie pop, and then uh, one of my favorite examples is Larue, which that that's I think one of the best executions of that. Um, and then like. I, I can't remember when when did the Gautier thing came out, um, but which, which one was that? The 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 song about the breakup. The the uh, God damn it! All right, now I'm gonna have to Wikipedia. Yes, this is how podcast works. Gautier. 
it, as soon as I type it in, it's going to be uh, somebody they used to know. Oh, yes. man, I totally forgot that that but, was go-to. But, like, so many people were reaching back into 80s pop, and then Daft Punk distinctly reached back towards, like, 70s disco pop R&B electronica um the the Paul Williams like kind of like big 70s songwriters that it's interesting that the, the what was the biggest like the the biggest record of that year reached into what a lot of people sort of dismissed as like uh, not necessarily the kitschiest elements because they got all these fantastic musicians to work on it Giorgio Moroder and um and Paul Williams and uh why am I forgetting the name of the guitarist who does uh, all of the stuff for um, let's see, random. Act. So one thing too about the Random Access Memory album, um, I do know that Daft Punk as a as a group is is a really old act. So do you think this was oh, done they, in they, homage? They've been around since the 90s. Well, no, it's because that's the kind of stuff that they liked when they were kids. They grew up with. They, they, there's this thing where they they keep doing it. They keep reaching back towards the, the 70s. They did it with Discovery, which is a straight disco album. Um, that's right. You yeah. know, I hadn't that, that, ever really and that's, thought about that's that. The, that's the first one. I mean, uh, Homework was, I think, their first their first album. That was like, like a big like kind of late 90s, early 2000s club hit, but... When when they came out with the fucking animated movie and stuff, that's what, the first time I heard about Daft Punk, and that's one more time was everywhere, and but that's like really straight disco with like a little bit of a club electronic in there. It's really crazy that you've put it that way because I've always always identified that club electronica part of it, yet all the disco elements are right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's. I'm probably I probably sound really dumb that this didn't ever actually like compute that these these elements were together well, because because I think it was the time it came out and us not growing up in the that's the thing we don't have that like we have the leftovers of the disco sucks thing but without the living in disco culture so as a result we were presented with something and we were able to enjoy it without having it we don't automatically we, identify we did, we it with that. We didn't pick up all the signs and signifiers of it being like like a definite disco thing, but but everything from the the design of the logo on the album to this. Um, but okay, yeah, yeah. Niall Rogers, that's the guitarist that they worked on. Okay. Uh, uh, for Random Access Memories, but yeah, so I think, but with Random Access Memories, perhaps we were just older enough to pick all that up. I think that that's it. That makes a lot of sense. Um. Also, a lot of the club electronica stuff isn't necessarily as present in Random Access Memories. Um, it's a really different kind of thing. It's true. It that's really true. It's it's even more emphasis. It's well, it's it, using it's, the it's, elements to create. It's, it's like the wider elements of like seventies pop. Yeah. And and it's an interesting kind of love letter. And it's like that. That's that's weirdly what people responded to. I think is kind of cool. Um, but. Yeah, so it turns out that disco doesn't suck, and...
like I understand that like you know it's it's a what they feel a reaction is to like disco culture and the kind of you know like oh dance clubs suck they're not listening to rock music but the implication that rock music in the seventies was all that good is uh... yeah and I mean like <laughs> when I when I think of rock and and punk in the seventies like. Punk it's, and this old punk well, I mean, it's yeah, yeah, it's it's still like you have your cliques, like your eras that are working separately. But the the example that I had thought of when we were talking about this before we started recording was Black Sabbath's Paranoia album, which is this weird amalgam of like heavy metal, like super early proto heavy metal, and bluesy with blues, yeah, yeah. the psychedelic rock of the sixties, like right. It's this well, really strange what's, sound. What's really good about 70s music, and I, I guess I could say this about any era, but it's like, no, 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 no. I think that, like, the good stuff in the 70s to pay attention to are is, like, it's it's interesting that it's pop, like, fringy rock, pop, like, fringy rock stuff, you know, um, and, and, like, disco, I think are actually the things to pay attention to as far as being the good music. I think often the weakest element of the 70s is just the kind of, like, rock and roll of the 70s. Because it's this, like, it's this, like, post, you know, hippie generation still trying to live it out with the long hair and the mustaches. And the only ones that were good at the time are the ones that really carried through from the 60s. Like Led Zeppelin. Yeah, and I mean, it's like, (laughs) really, that's the only example I can think of offhand. I mean, you have... Is is Rush in that category? Uh, I, th- I think Journey. I'm throwing these names out because I actually don't. I can't also, think of anything. I guess I guess going through the '70s, we're also talking about the development of prog. Is is also kind of it. But I. But it, that's the thing. I think of that as being sort of like one of the fringy rock elements. I fucking hate prog, but you know, um, I can recognize the that is the, a the sound development. But um, for example, Jethro Tull is not a good band. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I know. Oh, I'm not even man. listening to Aqualung. <laughs> I apologize. I'm just no. just hammered. Home. Just, just go just for it. it. Actually, by the way, do you want my copy of Aqualung? Uh, like, maybe. actually, it's it's in reasonable condition. If you want it, possibly. I don't. I need enjoy. to get settled. First. I mean, okay. I like the song Aqualung, but is is it? Are they prog? No. We. I almost feel like we need to defer to to Wikipedia and see what they're. Yeah categorization really holds for him we, we've gotten like we've gotten like really really deep into the like the the ether here what makes this john travolta record suck um i think exactly what makes a lot of music no matter the genre or era suck when somebody's just trying to make a sound because somebody else made it right it, it and there's something to be said for for uh for inspiration 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 Applied correctly, exactly. Applied well, we had we were talking in the whether the, it comes from talented or untalented. Yeah, like, like well, untalented meaning I guess more unprofessional sounding. The punk but, era. Yeah, right. Yeah, like anything. Like, that's, those guys were like terrible musicians, but they produced infinitely more interesting music than some of their contemporaries. And that's the key word right there is interesting, because right. the idea that we had come up with is that you can have somebody who plays music technically perfectly matching every note never never once differentiating from what that sound should be no matter what it is and it lacks an interesting tone because it is just a replica it's the imperfections and the the uniqueness of somebody who has either training or experience or a methodology that differs from something else before it that makes it good mm-hmm. and this good then ties back into what makes that psychological reaction of liking something. And it's that I think it ties into uniqueness. We are looking for something that has a unique effect. Mm-hmm. And if we have that exact same rec- replica playing, you're not getting a unique reaction. Mm-hmm. And some of that is entirely unintentional, too. You can right. have somebody who's trying to play something exactly like something else, and it's the failure to do so yeah. that creates... Uh, a reaction of this is enjoyable. Right. That is just my thought on this. We were talking before we were recording about cover songs. And yes. like what 
uh, uh, jumping to, I'm because I'm trying to think. Okay, like what's a cover song where you're just like, oh, that's great, and you think of it, you think of it as much as you think of the original, in like in like a good way. Like, and I was thinking like Cake's version of "I Will Survive." Um, there you for, go. For me, the 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 cover, the Minutemen cover of um, "Have You Ever Seen the Rain." Um, I haven't heard that one. It's good. It oh. is really good. Um, but it's just sort of like, I I think I think whether or not a cover is good tells you so much more about the musician and how they understand music and how they reinterpreted it. You know. Um, good composition isn't about the capacity to recreate. It's about taking something and making it your own. Right. But it, well, what I uh, what I was thinking about those two is because the. The cake one is substantially different from the original song, yet gets the thing right, injects enough of themselves, is interesting enough on its own. Like, he changes, like, the way it's, like, phrased, and, like, the, the lines are delivered. And the Minutemen one is a much more straightforward cover, which had the opportunity to be boring, but because it's perhaps so earnest, that's what makes it work. Here's another example, yeah. and it's going to go the opposite direction. Delilah. Delilah, Tom Jones Delilah, the the Delilah I sing at karaoke all the time. The Delilah performed by the Irish comedian we did the other episode on. Oh yeah. And which whose name I can't even remember right uh, now. Brendan Grace. Thank you, Brendan Grace. Yeah. Where you are going too far with originality and now you've taken something and and I would almost say ruined it. Right. Because it's 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 that balance of taking something's framework, the structure of, of a sound, and this is, it's not just covers, it's genres, it's, it's anything that's atypical. You take that framework and you're adding onto it in a way that actually improves it. And improve is such a generic word in this situation because it's music. It's all yeah. about people's taste. Like, improve can be anything. But I would say it's, it's easy to see stuff out there that somebody has taken a framework and just demolished it. Case in point, Delilah <laughs> by Brendan Grace. Delilah by Brendan Grace. I think I do a better cover of Delilah. Just I think that. everybody does a better I cover. Does a, I, I still love the Christopher Walken Delilah number. I mean, he's basically just singing over the Tom Jones song, but in, from Romance and Cigarettes, if you guys haven't seen it, it's fantastic. Whether or not the movie's your cup of tea, you'll at least love the... Just the look up that Walken. clip. Yeah. Um, Christopher Walken, Romance and Cigarettes, Delilah. Just bomb. Um, also, solved. Christopher Walken. Not a great singer. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, with that voice, how could you turn him yeah. away? Well, okay. Uh, uh, I think the penultimate version of... Uh, not pen penultimate. I don't know why I use the word penultimate. Um, uh, uh, the The... Sort of my my favorite example of this problem is American Idol. Okay, American Good point. Idol. We're on starting some to encroach level. on another area that I don't want to discuss: the reality television era. But I think it. Well, makes luckily, for a good... American Idol's dead. Yes, uh, thankfully, people are still watching The Voice, but American Idol's dead. Um, so, when you think about American Idol, and it's like, okay, so they're competing to find the best sounding musician. Is there an American Idol contestant? Were you ever interested in the show? I, I watched like, probably on occasion. Like, but like like first, second season, we were all kind of invested whether or not, you know, it was just, it was the biggest television event. We were like sort of forced into it. Exactly. I got over it reasonably quickly enough, but after the those first, first two years, like I watched it with my family. We were all into it. Everyone was talking about it. It was... I'm sure, you know, of course, every, like, cynical, jaded, you know, so-and-so writing a thing about it. And blah, blah. But you get what I mean. Like, we're all absorbed. When was the last time you actually listened to or gave a shit about any of the people who ever won that contest? Oh, or, e or even the runners-up, ex with one exception, which, why am I forgetting her name? The one who was in Dreamgirls. But that's because she was incredible. Um, oh, okay. if, if I'm bad with names, just because I'm bad with names. Um... Dream Girls, Broadway musical, film. There we go. Um, Jennifer Hudson. Oh, there we Jennifer go. Jennifer Hudson is the only American Idol contestant that I think anyone has ever 
really substantially cared about. You can pretend that you like Kelly Clarkson, but ultimately she just ends up being a... Like, like she, it's just like, it's just like, okay, so she won the thing and she became a really run-of-the-mill pop star. And then there's the one, the, the Jesus Take the Wheel, the country singer. Scott McCreary? No, 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 no. That's the, oh, God, Scott McCreary. Um, no, 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 whichever one did the, the country song. But some of the, I, see, she, I can't she even was tell the, you. She was blonde, I think. And it's that's so helpful. But, but you get what I mean, where it's just like you have a whole consciousness, just like let's find the best at this. But uh, w- with rare exception, American Idol has not produced a substantial artist worth talking about. And then you can look at a group like the Violent Femmes, or um, or you can think about an artist like Patti Smith, where I wouldn't call them bad singers, but they have a voice that people would be cons- that would on some level you'd consider atypical. Of what would be like a perfected pop voice. I would think virtually any musician pre-American Idol would not have succeeded on American Idol. It's really difficult to find somebody who would have actually... Who who would have succeeded on that program because it created a standard concept of a voice. Yeah. uh, And a a performance style. And and I, I think that American Idol, beyond its reality show elements, it just brought out... I think the worst in pop music was present in American Idol. Or at least its worst tendencies. Exactly. So really, we've just kind of come to the point where looking back at various genres seems to be the the, the best option right, right. now. Even but, even looking at well, okay. Here's a thought. Compare American Idol to John Travolta's A Girl Like You. Oh, he would have done terribly. But then again, this record didn't do that well either. But no, no, what, what, what did you actually want to say in regards to that? Sorry. So the question is, if we're looking at the capacity to just recreate and, and follow a sound and not actually do anything dynamic and interesting, mm-hmm. would you say that American Idol has that same issue that this record does in comparison to disco? I mean, yeah, pretty much. Since, since, it's, about, since it's about getting a pop sound right... Yeah, more or less, without inspiration. If anything, inspiration is often punished openly on American Idol. This is really true. Like, I remember the, just, just some Simon Cowell. Simon Cowell's an idiot. I'm going to throw this out there. And it's just like, oh, but he's, he's a brilliant music producer. It's just like, no, he, he's, 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 a, he's he is a, a tasteless piece of shit. And th- this coming from a guy who's obviously never produced any musicians or anything like that. But it's like... But you can look at a lot of the the music producers out there who made the careers of of acts that we would uh, our tastes in music today were affected by something that this music producer enabled 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago. Right. Uh, let's see. Early career. Sorry, I'm just looking up. Let's find who he's, who uh, he's produced. Oh yeah, he worked at EMI, Fanfare Records. Exercise videos, Italian orchestra. So his entire career sounds like it's based on the idea of making something as generic as oh, possible. It's, it's that he's definitely an industry guy. Um, and there's a and there's a there's a factor for it. There's a difference between somebody who works to actually further a field yeah. versus specifically keep things right. the way they are because they are money making or right. and, and it's not to say that it's just like like all producers are evil obviously it's okay well here's a weird example because I was about to throw out Spill Fe- uh, Spill Phil Spector who did it. Spill Fector quite a bit <laughs> that is um, awful that is not worth laughing at I know but it's just the part where you picked up on my fucking spoonerism and then used it as a um, but it's just like okay so he's a monster but it's just like, no, he produced a lot of really great music. Fucked a lot of artists out of money. Definitely did it for the money. Definitely did it to produce big hit records. But he also had a good ear and knew how to make good music. So sometimes being a pioneer means being a bit of a sociopath? Well, no. I, I think more of the point <laughs> I'm trying to make is, is speaking to Phil Spector's talent as a... That's the thing. At the end of the day, it comes down to whether or not you have the fucking talent. And whether or not you can... You can, like, okay, for me, what I like about ABBA is just, like, on some level, it's just, like, is this the pinnacle of soulless, like, pop? Because it is a little bit of everything. But it's, like, but they do it really well, 
and it's not done cynically, and they're trying to make big hits because it's pop music, but they know how to do that and still produce, and it manages to be trite and incredible at the same time because it's so fucking huge, and what makes ABBA good... And you've kind of just <laughs> described the reason why I can't stand it. Why you can't stand it. <laughs> because <Emma. laughs> it's it's everything without being anything. <laughs> kind of, yeah, but but I can't deny how just fucking... Like, and that's the interpretation. Right. It's right. the interpretation. It's, it's the interpretation. Okay. But but definitively what makes this John Travolta record boring. <laughs> what makes it boring are Our closing statements. It is... It is... Uh, it is the it oh my god i'm i'm struggling to even put it into words it is the laboratory equivalent of just pouring together the same set of chemicals it's the it's the kids uh, volcano experiment everybody knows how to do it and at a certain point you've seen it enough times to just know it's the, it's a chemical and another chemical it's an acid and a base causing uh, some froth and yes kids get a hell of a kick out of it because it's a reaction they've never seen before. But once you've been exposed to it a thousand times, there's nothing special about it anymore. Right. I think that's that's yeah. the weirdest example I think I could have pulled in this moment. That is a weird one. Not expecting that one, but all right. <laughs> no, hey, if, it's, if it, I mean, the only substantive thing I can bring to it is just that it's it's just. And you have a lot of, of disco. You have a lot of music to pull from. <laughs> I I think I think what makes the Travolta one boring is that it's just sort of like um I guess the other thing we did say is that like the John Travolta album is like hitting the disco button on your electric keyboard. It's just the that's it. sound. That's, that's the best way to put it. Is it's just sort of like, it feels like it was a song they just had that they could have made whenever. It feels like something they could have written in like a day or two. Like they could have thrown it together like we've today thrown together this podcast. And just like that, this is what disco sounds like in general. <laughs> this is what podcasting. This is sounds what podcasting like. sounds like. Um, white men with opinions. Oh, oh dear. Uh. Oh dear. By the way, we are, when we were saying today, we are talking specifically about inauguration. The inauguration day. happened today. So, so yes, white time. men having opinions white, white is having certainly an issue. Is a problem today. I'm glad uh, we approached that at the very at, end. At of the this. very end of this. Um, more on that in our next right. episode. I, I think I think what it is is just it feels like it This John Travolta record feels like a thing that happened and not in a good way. You know how like you can make a sandwich a few times over and then one day it'll be great and another time you've just made a sandwich? Like there was a there was a chicken sandwich I had once on an airplane on the way from Ireland to Germany that just didn't have any taste to it, despite having essentially all the same ingredients of any chicken sandwich I've ever had. And it's just like, I don't know, it wasn't good. And that's what this John Travolta record is. It's a chicken sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> It's just a, it's just a jumping, jumping to oh, our God. earlier conversation. I was wondering if this is where this was going. We to cars earlier. This is it. We've tied it all together, Kevin. It all comes full circle. You, 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 you remember how good the chicken pot pie we had at Dupars was? This, this is, is not. This that. is not that. This is the boiled vegetables. This is the boiled vegetables. This is this is the chicken pot pie that like. Was this this is the chicken pot pie we would have gotten from a lesser diner? This is the chicken pot pie we would have gotten if we had gone to Ralph's and gotten the the microwavable one, the one you yeah. Just but even the oven. microwavable ones, some days it works out all right. That's true. That is true. I'm sticking with this, boiled vegetables. The boiled vegetables. Because there's no redeemable value okay. in that. So, so our definitive statement is this: John Travolta record is the boiled vegetables of disco. 
You've got it. The unsalted boiled vegetables of disco. Guys. I wanted that. I want that to be quoted somewhere. Somewhere. All right. Uh, good night, everybody. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for being here. Any Anything else to throw in? Hi. It's good to be doing this. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Thank Dan. you for coming. It's good to be back. <sighs> All right. And we will catch you on the flip side. I'll allow it. I'll take it. <laughs>